0: Uh, let's see I got a couple announcements for you the first one is that we are having baptisms in September and if you would like to be baptized we are having baptism classes Uh, the next one is going to be next Sunday in the lounge after both services really easy to attend it's gonna be pretty short If you can't make it next week, but you want to be baptized, uh, the middle of the week, August 16th, 6 p.m., there is a Zoom call that you can hop on and we'll do it via Zoom so you don't actually have to show up here. Uh, Just let us know at the Welcome Center. We'll make sure we send you the invite to the chat room to be able to do that. But baptisms are going to be happening. In September. If you'd like to be baptized, then you know feel free to please go to the class and come to that. We are also relaunching uh, the men's study in September, just to keep that like one month from yesterday, I think. Uh, you can think about in the back of your mind. It starts at 7:30 in the morning, goes to about 8:30, 8:45. It's it's nice and early, kind of not saying get it out of your way for the day, but it's a nice thing to come to in the morning to walk through the scriptures and then kind of step into the rest of your day. If you are new, Welcome to Element. There are Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. And everybody tells me I can make this shorter, my whole spiel about what we're doing throughout this Forgive series and our sermon notes. But if you are new, out on the table out there, there is a binder. You can grab a binder. Uh, this is week four of the series. Every previous week will already be in the binder that's out there. And then you can grab the notes that are for today. You do not have to grab a binder. The binders are if you want the extra notes that go along with the series. So what we have for today, is this is the extra resource that can go into that binder. And the top is, this is seven signs for the progression of like relational relational rupture in our hearts that deal with unforgiveness. And it's kind of good to read through what those kind of look like, because I go through that and I think, oh, that sounds like me and so-and-so and and me and -and so-and-so and me and boy, I'm just a terrible person. So there's a lot in there you can walk through. And then it's a way to walk through knowing how to be reconciled on the bottom of that. That's the extra resource. Uh, That's not on the communion tables. What we have on the communion tables is this, and these are our sermon notes that anybody can grab for the series. They're a full sheet so that they can also go into the binders if you want a binder. And on these, again, the way the questions work is vertical, and this is, what is God doing? And then internal, what is God doing in my heart and in my life, and how is that working out? And then horizontal is, how does that work out in other people's lives? through what God is doing in me, and then the action steps. You have a short little recap, the verses we're going to cover, that's all on here, and a place to write down some notes. That also fits in the binder, but again, you don't have to bind it, you can just write on that if you want, or what you can do is download an app. And it is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. And when you download it, it just as Bible. And when you click on More and Events, we will come up by GPS in that smart device. And you're going to get a link tree that links to the downloadable notes, all the bits and pieces of what we're walking through in the series. You get the verses in there, the announcements that Kevin walked through. Really everything that goes with the series up to this point and really with today's message. <sighs> but I think I shortened it. We'll see. My, my co-GC leader, Nick, will tell me later this week if I did it right or not. Anyway, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Uh, This is Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. And it says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And like, (gasps) we'll talk about that in the message today. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would teach us how to naturally be a forgiving people. And what that would then look like as we live that out in our lives, that you would gain glory and honor as we live for you in this world, reflecting who you are and what you have done in us. So teach us to be these people that live in your gracious will, reflecting the goodness of who you are. Amen. Have a seat. Right, so as I said, we are doing this series to this topic of forgiveness and forgiving. And if you have been to church for any length of time or ever walked into a church, you probably think that's all they ever talk about, forgiving, forgiveness. But I think we kind of miss the depth of what forgiveness actually entails in our lives and then given to others. I mean, I was in that same boat for a bit. And then this year I picked up this book by Tim Keller called Forgive. And it was the best book that I have read this year. Uh, I wanted to preach it to you front to back. And that's basically what I'm doing. I am plagiarizing the snot out of this book, all the good bits. Uh, but I guess I'm not plagiarizing if I'm telling you I'm doing it. I don't know how that works. But the book made a difference in my heart. And I was once told if something makes a difference in me, I should then look at how to make sure everybody else hears that as well. Your ring went off, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so what we want to do is look at what this looks like in our lives. says, if we as a church family can learn how to forgive, and how to repent with one another and become a deeper-centered gospel community, I think we'd grow, and I think God would be more glorified in our lives. And this is why we want everyone to be part of this series. If you've messed a pre- missed a paper this week, just go back and listen to the podcast. If you don't know how to get a podcast on your phone, talk to someone at the Welcome Center. They will walk you through that. You can watch the YouTube of the previous weeks of this series, because they all kind of go together. Each one will stand on its own. But if you haven't listened to the previous weeks, they're all kind of going to build on top of one another. We want this all to go together. Now, last week, what we did is we talked about different cultural misunderstandings of what forgiveness looks like. There is the stick your head in the sand type of forgiveness where it's like, oh, I just forgive and that's it and please let's not have any type of, you know, back and forth talk about it. Just I'm going to forgive and let it go. And then we talked about a transactional forgiveness where you're looking at somebody else to do something before you forgive them. And then we looked at a no forgiveness model where you just, don't forgive at all. Now, in some of those models, people have gotten away with abuse. And they say, well, you know, doesn't the Bible, when it says forgive, it just means get over it? No, that can actually lead to abuse. But what it does when the Bible talks about forgiveness is it means making a change, how we see others based upon what Jesus has first done in us. And each week, we're giving you a video, a little testimony of somebody talking about forgiveness. And today, this is gonna be from Vicki Berg. And as you watch these, again, we're not taking and saying, hey, here's the epitome of forgiveness. We're letting you hear people's stories as they kind of work through this and work through the understanding of what forgiveness looks like. So maybe you can identify and say, yeah, that, and then I still want to grow in what God's calling me to be. So this is uh, Vicki Berg.
1: You know, my dad was a really complex person and um, he had a lot of parts to his story. As a young person, obviously, you don't always appreciate you know, all those aspects you know, uh, of an adult and what goes into making them who they are. He immigrated to this country as a young person. I fought in the Korean War, he grew up in Czechoslovakia. Very cold parents, they preferred his brother. So my dad had a lot of emotional stuff going on. He marries my mom, who just is so devoted. She's like a Labrador, just all in. And then he has, they start having kids. And he drank, he was an angry alcoholic. There was verbal issues, there was physical violence. It was really hard, it was really hard, so I, you know, spent all those 18 years at home living under that, you know, I left home. I never looked back. I cataloged that whole list of all those things that happened and felt very justified for most of my life and really not forgiving him, you know, having that list of wrongs. And, um, and I lived like that for a long time and God would kind of prod me here and there, but I didn't really feel called to address that issue until I went to redemption groups like five years ago. My dad died in 12, and we really never had an opportunity. He was not the kind of person that would talk and open up. And God begins a process, I think, of beginning to bring me closer to Him. I'm growing more in my love for God, and out of that love, I really want to obey. And I, I'm not in a legalism standpoint, but how are you calling me? What do you want me to do? And really, the issue for me, I think, was God looking at me and going, you know, I'm your savior but you've now accepted me as my Lord and master and you love me. Will you obey me?" That heart of stone moving into a heart of flesh, you know. and what I think God gave me was a wider view of my father, who he was. Growing out of compassion and understanding came a a place of forgiveness. If I look at my own life and what I've struggled with and how God meets me in that, did he do any less for my father? I struggled a little bit with um, God forgives me, can you forgive him? I, I didn't interact with my kids the way my dad interacted with me, so it, you know, for me it was kind of a like for like, and, and you know I, I kind of have trouble going, well my dad did this, well I did that, God forgave us, you know the magnitude of all sin the same, I don't always wrap my head around that, but I think I can identify with him more as a parent. We are all broken. We, we need God, we can't improve ourselves, we can't make ourselves better. And I want that same mercy, so I have to extend, I need to extend that to my father as I ask God to extend that to me. I've gotten so much mercy from God, how can I not extend that to my dad? The fact that my dad is not around, you know, it makes it challenging to deal with forgiveness. But one of the benefits of him not being around is he can't hurt me anymore. And so there's a certain amount of healing that goes on because you don't have the ongoing um, negatives that happen. I think God has taken away in my heart a need for like an apology and a justification, you know, tell me why you did this. You know, I I think I know all those things. I started asking him to give me his perspective on the situation, because I was really broken and biased about it. All I knew is what I saw. And God was really gracious to bring me, I think, his perspective, what, how he saw the situation.
0: So here's the deal. Forgiveness is hard. Can we all agree? In a lot of places, it, it is just so difficult. And because of that, we have a natural bent to see other people around us sometimes as just the enemy rather than as broken people as well. Now, in the Forgive book, Tim Keller calls us to what is called an Other Regarding Ethic and other regarding eth- ethic, and so what I want to do is talk about what that means historically and what it means then for us as believers who trust in Christ. So imagine you see a little old lady walking down the street or a dark alley at night, and every time I say a little old lady, typically there's two or three of you come up and you go, Are "You talking about me?" And no, <laughs> no. i have nobody in mind i'm just saying okay so imagine a little lady's walking down you know the street at night she got a purse or a duffel bag under her arm as she's walking and you see this and you think i could steal that purse i could steal that duffel bag she wouldn't be able to catch me she couldn't stop me she wouldn't even know who i was i could totally get away with it would you do it yes everybody when you ask that question says no but there are people who would and they're thugs. They tell you no, but they would go and do it. But most of us would say no because, hey, it's a little old lady. We don't want to hurt that person. Now, if you just go back, you know, a thousand years, the Anglo-Saxon, well, you have these Anglo-Saxon warriors, and they would not steal from the little old lady because it would be beneath them. An older person, they're worthy of respect. She's also a woman, but to rob her and you got caught would mean you lose honor in other people's eyes. In other words, you wouldn't do it not for her sake You would not do it for your sake. That's how they would do it. And so when Christianity comes along, it actually begins to change the world because it brings about this other regarding ethic. Jesus taught us to be a people who would think of the woman before we think of ourselves, to look at how she would be hurt. Maybe she has something in that duffel bag that's taking care of a family. You steal that, you could hurt that entire family. So you're thinking about other people. You don't do it because you take other people into consideration. You want the best for them. Now, today, we are going back to this self-centered ethic. I was in Home Depot a couple of weeks ago trying to buy some Romex, and it's all locked up. And I asked the guy, so why is the Romex locked? He goes, because people steal it people steal. And I go, what? He goes, yeah, we had a guy at $3,000 worth of this, which is like two spools nowadays, but the, of this in his cart and he was walking out the door and no one's supposed to stop him and he runs out and he steals. And I'm like, what? that is a self-centered ethic. And other regarding ethic would think I don't steal because I'm not just stealing from this company, but from the people who work there. And it's hurting people like me, who's now got to spend a ton of money just to go buy some Romex at the Home Depot. You're hurting other people. So that's why you wouldn't, that's what Christianity is supposed to bring. And yet today our current culture ethical system is moving back to being self-regarding. It's based upon what we feel, based upon what we want. An ethical system that draws upon Christian beliefs becomes other-regarding. It's a commitment to other people for their sake because that is what God has done for us. Why is forgiveness in our world hard today? Because in a self-centered culture, forgiveness makes very little sense. Because when you're wronged, you only get your honor back by shaming or revenging yourself on other people. Within Christianity, the worldview of forgiveness is not a sign of inner weakness. Forgiveness is a sign of inner strength. And this shows us that we historically, as an American culture, have never become a thoroughly Christian culture. It just actually hasn't happened. To the Anglo-Saxons, the very idea of forgiveness was so beyond them, it was dangerous, because social order was based upon strength. And it still is to a major extent today. And as a Western country, we have not really allowed Christianity to have the influence that it really could have had. Like even politics today, people will say things like, we're here to protect God's honor. And they're not really protecting God's honor. They're protecting their comfort or the things that they want. In a truly Christian culture, this ethic of love becomes revolutionary. It brings about equal dignity and the rights of every individual. Today, there are a lot of organizations out there who will be claiming to fight for equal rights or dignity for everybody, but they're not. They are still basing things on skin color and income, and those people are out and these people are in, a whole other set of criteria. If we had a truly Christian-inspired culture, all individuals would be assumed to have dignity and value and worth that does not need to be earned because it is given, it is bestowed by God. Philosopher Nicholas Wolsterstorff says, Forgiveness entered the world along with the recognition of divine human worth. It cannot occur where those are not recognized. And so the loss of forgiveness in our culture, it's disturbing. And it should make us ask the question then, where did our understanding of it come from? How can we begin to walk back towards that? Well, historically, there's two things that we need to understand. First off, if we look back at ancient cultures, no matter how sophisticated that we think that they are, they did not value forgiveness. Now, the Western worlds today, our largest influences are from Greece and Rome. And an understanding of forgiveness did not exist in those cultures. It played no role in the thinking of those societies. Uh, Charles Griswold says, It is surprising and illuminating that forgiveness is not seen as a virtue by ancient Greek philosophers. Do you hear that? It is surprising and illuminating that forgiveness is not seen as a virtue by ancient Greek philosophers. Now, what they did have is a notion of pity, and the Greek word for pity means to be lenient in judgment. It means you're handing out a less severe punishment for what somebody did out of compassion, but that is far, far short of what forgiveness entails. For a Greek, they had virtues. The virtues were wisdom, justice, courage, and self-control. Every single one of those excluded or discouraged any tenderness that would move you towards mercy. The ancients believed in the gods, and the gods had all these passions, and they were very human-like, and they had jealousy and spite and vengeance. And because that is how they saw the gods, they could not grasp the idea of a free and gracious forgiveness. There is no prominence given to forgiveness at all in ancient Greek philosophy. Now, sometimes people say, but wait, Aristotle. People love Aristotle. I don't know why he said the weirdest things in the world. But Aristotle, what he used was this term called a pardon. You would pardon somebody. That's not about forgiving, though. That's about excusing, like it couldn't be avoided. You go down to the really good Mexican restaurant and you get the burrito and you eat it and your stomach rumbles and something comes out the other end and the whole room stinks. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. That's a pardon. I excuse you. It was unavoidable. It was going to happen. Burp. Oh, I excuse you. That's what Aristotle is saying. The Greeks, though, had no concept of the equal dignity of all people, regardless of race or culture. Everyone in ancient times thought of themselves. I'm virtuous. I'm right. And virtuous people, well, I don't need to be forgiven because I've got it all together. I am a person of moral excellence. And it sounds a lot like what we're trying to instill in one another today. You know, you're great. Everybody else is the problem. No, usually we're the problem. They believed that only inferior people needed forgiveness and virtuous people, which was you, did not need to grant it. Aristotle argued that persons of excellence should respond to those who wrong them not with forgiveness because that gives that other person too much importance, but instead with contempt. And is that not how a lot of times we respond to people who hurt us today? With contempt. The non-virtuous were not always bad people. They were just people even of a lower class. And so another reason you didn't offer forgiveness was that these lower classes were so far beneath you, you did not even need to notice them. And that is the opposite of an other-regarding ethic. The second thing in history is that Greeks viewed the universe itself as being impersonal. This is a lot like agnostics today. It's just impersonal. Greek philosophers argued that behind the universe was this thing called the logos. That would be their idea for the reason. Interesting, when John writes his gospel account, John will call Jesus the logos, the word. And what he is saying to these Greek philosophers is the reason you're looking for That's Jesus. That's Jesus. The Logos to the Greeks was this rational but impersonal transcendent principle that ordered the universe. And within that universe was a host of gods. But again, those gods didn't forgive each other or anyone, which led to the ancient Greeks not feeling any religious compulsion to forgive other people. Forgiveness and reconciliation wasn't central to their life. You would never want to have any sympathy for another person's point of view. You were never to be other regarding. You were to only look at yourself. And again, this is where a lot of our culture is moving towards today. And why do I tell you all this? Why do I walk through these things about Greek and Rome and all that? Because people today will say that forgiveness is not something that was unique to the Bible and Christianity. And it actually is. It really is. And this is why we got to come to the Scriptures to understand what forgiveness is really supposed to be like. The Christian idea that even morally good people are flawed, that we are all imperfect sinners needing forgiveness, finds no parallel anywhere but the Scriptures. Forgiveness only fits within the outlook that emphasizes that we are finite that we are fallible, that we are human. And you have to understand other people are the same way. They are finite. They are fallible. They are human. The Forgive book says this, Forgiveness is a virtue against the backdrop of a narrative about human nature. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is a virtue against the backdrop of a narrative about human nature. What it does is it understands that we are imperfect. And so, you know what? We will be among an imperfect People, So let's go to this. What's the difference with the Christian faith in regard to forgiveness and then all those other things? Well, from the very beginning, the Christian church is remarkable because of its emphasis on the practice of forgiveness and non-retaliation towards others. Christianity, the first 300 years of Christianity, it is the most persecuted religion in Rome. And statistically speaking, even today, if you look around the world, Christianity is still the most persecuted religion in the world by numbers. In the first 300 years, there was a very high cost to being a Christian. Rejection by relatives and neighbors, loss of income, loss of job, harassment, violence. In many cases, there's political and judicial costs, sometimes even executions. And all that stuff still happens in many places in the world today. And yet, despite this, Christianity still grew rapidly, Even in the midst of persecutions, you look at Christian writings from those first 300 years and they show little or no bitterness. They don't shout for a desire for revenge against those who are persecuting them. If you have a Bible, open to Matthew chapter 5. If you're going to use one of the Bibles at Element, that is on page 526. John Somerville, he is an English scholar and he said, When the Anglo-Saxons in England adopted Christianity, they did not understand what they were buying into. And I think that is so funny and so true. And sometimes people in America, a bunch of Anglo-Saxons, we think that, you know, oh, Christianity, Christianity started in the Middle East, right? Okay, it doesn't start with the Anglo-Saxons. And so they were these warriors, very strong. they had no idea what they were getting. And that's really funny because the Anglo-Saxon insisted on respect through a show of strength. So what does Jesus say? Matthew 5, 38 and 39. He says, You've heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil. That doesn't mean you don't stand against evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, N.T. Wright, in the second week of this series, we gave you a little write-up, and he has some really good things to say about this, because Jesus offers us a new sort of justice that's creative, that it's healing. Now, there's this justice in the Bible called the lex talionis. This is the law of retribution, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It was meant to say proportional justice, which is revolutionary in the world at the time that it was written. Because if you have a feud and you show up with a stick and someone's going to show up with a knife, and then the other guy's, oh, you got a knife? We'll all go get a gun. And we got a gun? I'll get a rifle. You got a rifle? I'll get a rocket launcher. You got a rocket launcher? I'll get a nuclear bomb. It just goes on and on. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says it's better to not have vengeance at all. So what is that way? That way is reflecting the perfect love of God himself. So Jesus shows what this looks like, because if you were to be struck on the right cheek, you would be struck in that culture with the back of the hand like this. Whack! Like, I, maybe you've never been struck. I, I think I got one of those once when I was a kid. And what that did is it's not violence. That is Re- reflecting that you are inferior to the person who is smacking you with the back of their hand because you only backhanded an inferior, a slave, a child, gasp, a woman in that culture. And what Jesus says is don't give them, you know, here's the other cheek, smack it some more. What he's saying is if you turn the other cheek, they can't backhand you. If they're going to try and smack you again, they have to do it with their open hand. And what that means is they have to see you as an equal. You would not slap somebody like this unless you saw them as an equal. And so what Jesus is saying is you're going to help that person to see what they are actually doing. When Christian missionaries, they win over these European tribes to Christ, they're speaking of service and forgiveness and charity, which is all about wanting the best for other people. And it comes out of this understanding that every human being is created in the image of God. They have dignity, they have value, they have worth, and should be seen as our neighbor. And what does God tell us to do? To love our neighbors. That's what the Anglo-Saxons got, this other regarding ethic. Now, a couple months ago, we were going through the book of Galatians, and I talked to you guys about the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Paul, when he talks about this fruit of the Spirit, is talking to these people about what God is going to bring into their lives, because he needs this church to come back together around who God is calling them to be. And the first sign of spiritual life in them is love. The first thing in our spiritual life should be this idea of love. Understanding God's love teaches us to love one another, which is this other-regarding ethic. Paul steers us to see that when he talks about love in Galatians 5, part of love, it's opening yourself to other people to being willing to, to love them for the intrinsic value of who they are as made in the image of God. The opposite of love, it is not hate. The opposite of love is self-protection. It's fear, it's indifference, it's my rights and my honors above everybody else's. When you love, you become open and vulnerable. Someone can actually hurt you. And do you see kind of how this other-centered ethic of love in the Bible is revolutionary? I mean, in a lot of places it's not even really grasped in our culture. Love is opening yourself to someone else for the intrinsic value of who they are, not for what they can do for you. And our forgiveness from God centers in God's forgiveness of us. And that should then lead us outward to start to offer that to one another. And the fruit of the Spirit, Paul goes from love and then into joy. And joy is about delighting in God for the intrinsic value of who He is. The counterfeit to love is this selfish affection. The counterfeit to joy, then, is when we focus on our blessings. Hashtag blessed. God, give me this. God, give me that. It's self-centered. It's about me. It's not about the one who blesses us. And so in Paul's view, joy and love, they're extremely alike. But one is vertical towards God, and one is horizontal towards other. Joy is delighting God for who He is. Vertical. Love, as Paul talks about here, is for others. It's horizontal. And that results in peace, which teaches us to trust God's control of our life. And that flows from one thing into the next, into the next. Now, hopefully you still have your Bibles open to Matthew 5. Just look on that same page if you're using one at ours, but right to the right. Open to Matthew chapter 6. And now we'll deal with the verse I had you stand for at the beginning. This is how our personal forgiveness is now lived with others in view. Matthew 6 verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now this comes at the end of Jesus talking about how to pray. His disciples say, Jesus, teach us us how to pray. And so in the middle of that, Jesus will say, Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, the main biblical term for the word forgiveness all throughout this is this word called epheme, and it means to legally acquit, to cancel a debt, not just lessen the penalty like, like the Greeks. This is the word Jesus uses when he teaches his disciples how to pray, And then how to forgive. Matthew 6.15, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. People read this and they get so freaked out and out of whack about what this means here. This does not mean you earn God's forgiveness by forgiving other people. Jesus, I think, is operating on a whole different level than we even think when he starts talking about this. What he is saying is that no heart that is truly repenting towards God can live in a state of perpetual unforgiving towards others. A lack of forgiveness towards others is a direct result of our repentance with God. Epheme comes from two words. Apo meaning from, he me, which means to send. To send away from you. When someone has wronged you, you carry that around. You feel like it just weighs on your shoulders every time you see them, think about them. Even when you're not, it just sits there on top of you. And forgiveness means it's like this thing is dragging you down. What you do is you say, I'm not gonna carry that anymore. I'm not going to carry it anymore. Even if you haven't had a conversation with that person, you let that go. So when you have a conversation, the conversation isn't about the hurts and the pains and the anger. It becomes about justice and righteousness and working towards a true resolution. This is what it means to, to let this thing go. When Jesus says forgive others their trespasses, that word trespasses is sometimes translated as sins, and it's this word called periptomata. Like you say potato, I say tomato, it's that kind of thing. And this word, the essence is pipto, and it means like the slips, the slips. It likes the trespasses, mistakes, the slips. Could be rolling of the ice. Sarcastic comments, the things said not thinking. And when Jesus speaks this way, it's about all of the words referring to sin. It's very grounded in how we wound each other every single day. These slips. Someone cuts in front of you in line. Someone flips you off in their car. Someone ignores you. And yes, everything that's much, much worse. But the slips are those things that get in between people and between us and God. And I know when you read this, For if you forgive others, your trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. It sounds very transactional. I mean, Jesus starts our Father in heaven and kind of ends with, If you do A, God will do A. If you don't do A, God won't do B and all that. I think it's less of a transaction and more a statement about reality about life with God. I once heard someone explain it like suffocation. I don't know if you have a fear of suffocation. I do. I have a fear I'm going to drown. I have a fear I'm going to get sucked into outer space. That's never going to happen. I know. I'm, I, I get sick on a swing. There's no way I'm ever going to go up in like a space rocket into outer space because I throw up all the way up. I, I get that. But I like sci-fi and I watch too much and I have these dreams. I get it. Okay. So suffocate is defined as to impede the respiration of. Impede the respiration of. Anybody ever snorkeled? Put a snorkel in your mouth and go swimming? Okay. So the rest of you, it's going to make no sense at all. All right. So you got a (laughs) snorkel. It's like five of you went snorkeling in your life. That's wonderful. Get out of the house. Stop watching Netflix, people. All right. (laughs) So you put a snorkel in your mouth and you stick your head down in the water. And what a snorkel serves to do is get air into you and get air back out of you in and out it's a rhythmic motion your lungs function that way get and expel air rhythmic motion if a snorkeler can't get air in and air out someone starts to die the snorkeler they start start to die so i don't think jesus here is talking about an, uh, about a transaction i think again whole different level i think what he's saying is the love of god that first flows into you has to be the love that flows right back out of you And if you are crimping, you're duct taping that airway. If you're refusing to forgive others, you're shutting off that pipe. Because God blesses us to bless others. God loves us to love others. God forgives us. We would begin to be a forgiving people. A lot of times we will say things like, they hurt me so bad. There's no way I can let that go. And I think what is happening is we are inhibiting the flow of God's love into our lives. Because God is loving and forgiving in other centers. Center, We would like to split things up. And we're like, I can be hateful and spiteful towards those, but God and I are okay. And I think what Jesus is saying is, in what world do you think that's okay? In what world could that be okay? When we hold things, us and God are not all right. Jesus shows in this prayer that it's God, others, and us. And he's saying, if you really want to know what God's forgiveness is like, if you really want to live in that, if you want to know his love and compassion, then you have to, at the very least, start extending that to others. God comes to a guy, Old Testament named Abraham, Genesis 12. And as he talks to this guy named Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you. Now, a lot of people today, they hear a word like that and they go, oh yeah. And they just stop reading right there. I'm going to bless you. God's going to bless me. How great is this? I'm blessed. It's so woo. And we just walk around like a bunch of weirdos. You know what God says after that? I'm going to bless you so that, why is it getting blessed? So you will be a blessing. It's not about you. It's, I'm going to breathe in. I get the blessing. I'm going to breathe it back out. God only blesses you to bless somebody else. God loves you. So you would love other people. God gives you hope and life. So you would give hope and life to other people. God forgives you. So you would learn how to extend that to others. So people would know what he is like. Breathe in, breathe out. See how it's a whole different level than how we think about it. I mean, it's just crazy how deep Jesus is here. That's how we know what God's love is really like. Now, Hopefully you're still in Matthew. Flip a couple pages to the right. Uh, go to Matthew 18, it's 534, using one of the Bibles an Element. The disciples are most likely stunned at Jesus' claim. And they, they watch him probably live his life about God's forgiveness of others, how he lives. You know, and they want to live like God. And, and they see Jesus living like, oh my, by the time you get to Matthew 18, where Jesus talks about this parable of the unforgiving servant that we talked about a couple weeks ago, Peter must have just been obsessing over this question. Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. This is right before the parable of the unforgiving servant. Peter came up and said to him, to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, first off, this shows you Peter has a crimped airway. Okay? He's getting breathing in, but he's not really breathing it back out. His focus is on himself. He sins against me. I forgive him it shows his concern is a lot like people today because someone can misinterpret Jesus' words and say, oh, unscrupulous people, they're going to sin against me without any accountability. So Jesus, please set limits on this. How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now, Peter's proposal would seem very generous in this culture. I mean, that's more than we would give somebody, seven times. In the Jewish Talmud, which is rabbinical commentary on the scriptures and what God is doing in the world, the Talmud called for someone to forgive other people three times. Three times. And that's about, I think, what we do today, right? It's like once, oh, oh, forgiveness, okay, fine. And they do it again, oh, man, I don't know, but okay, third time, I'm done. Like, that says We like that three. And yet, Jesus refuses to grant that there is a limit to forgiveness. He makes this declaration. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, the term he uses translated here as 77 times could also be 70 times seven. So, 490. And there's all these debates. Well, what did Jesus mean? If you're debating about it, you're missing the point of what Jesus is actually saying here. The number seven is a number about completeness. And this statement by Jesus is not one where you're calculating the number. It's like, oh, man, you're up to 748. You're getting pretty close. I'm ticking you off. Instead, you know, we want to look at God's goodness towards us, breathed in, be given back out. How many times do we sin against God if we're honest in the exact same way? Oh, God, I'll never do that again. Oh, and next day, boom. Oh, God. And then an hour later, we're doing, oh, God. Or maybe in brand new ways. And yet, God is forgiving and gracious because of what Christ has done. Those who get concerned about is that figure 77 or 490, because I'm keeping track, they missed the point. The point is that there's not a limit in this, there's no place for keeping score as if forgiveness could ever be used up. And it goes back for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Peter's question is really misconceived. Jesus says if you're still counting, you're not forgiving. That's what he's saying. When speaking of forgiveness, Jesus will use that image of debt will go right into the parable of the unforgiving servant to describe the nature of sins. When someone wrongs you, when someone hurts you, there's an unavoidable sense that the wrongdoer owes you. They owe you. When you, that's obligation, this liability, this debt, this pressure that lays upon you, anyone who has been wronged feels the compulsion to make the other person pay down the debt, that transactional forgiveness. And sometimes we will do that by ignoring the other person, by hurting the other person back, by yelling at them, by ignoring them, by sometimes just sitting back and waiting to see what's going to happen in their life. Oh, they wrecked their car. That's so sad. Yes. You know, and that's how we feel like, oh, something happened to them. It paid down the debt a bit. I start to feel a little bit better. Anyone who denies that that exists has not been wronged or sinned against in any serious way. So how do we deal with that? How do we start to have that other-centered ethic, to start to be able to breathe in and breathe back out? Well, it's the cross. It's so where we come to you every week at Allman. I ask that question, you should be able to just, boom, Jesus, the cross, the gospel. Exactly, it's the gospel. Jesus came and showed us the heart of God for His people who had hurt and rebelled and made a mockery of His name. And yet Jesus dies in our place for our sins to pay the debt we all owe to the God of the universe. This is not something we can muster up when we say an other regarding ethic. That's not something that we're like, I'm really ethical, I'm gonna do the right thing. That's not about us. This is how God lives. And this is what God's spirit moves us to, to be those who see other people. God is holy, H-O-L-Y, holy. But God is also holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy different than us. And if we ever hope to be a people who learn to forgive, to live with an other-centered ethic, it's only gonna come with an understanding of the gospel and living as the result of what God has first done in us, His strength in us, living in relationship with God. Now, it is element, right? So I say, what, what's the gospel? And y'all get glass like you deer in the headlights when I say it, but at some point, you're gonna be able to know what this is. It's the announcement. A gospel simply means an announcement. It's the announcement of the good news. Well, this is the ultimate good news, that God has come to rescue and save us in the person of Christ. And we can have forgiveness because of what He has done. That forgiveness does not come because of how honorable we are. It doesn't come because how strong we are like the Anglo-Saxons or how virtuous we are like the Greeks or how wise or how we can offer pity like the Romans. We are saved by grace. And that understanding of grace leads us directly into the other-regarding ethic. It is God who gives us the strength. It is God who makes the change. It is God who does the work in us as we walk with Him. So what I want you guys to do, hopefully you had your mints this morning, okay? I want you to breathe in breathe out. You know, I feel like you have the doctor, right? and they're all, Listen to your heart right now. Breathe in. Breathe out. The forgiveness that you have received is meant to be breathed back out. And I get, sometimes at heart. And we're going to start talking now after this week. We're going to start looking at the ways that forgiveness is not where you give up on justice. Forgiveness is not where you hold a perpetrator to account. It's, you do do all of those things. We move towards that. There is an importance in understanding that, though. Because if we don't breathe in and breathe out that forgiveness, when we go and we try and hold another person accountable, we're doing it for vengeance so that we feel better rather than true justice. And we always want to be working for what true justice looks like, because that is what God calls us to. Our forgiveness starts with what He has done. And when we talk about other-regarding ethic, other-regarding ethic simply means that we need just a part of our life. Part of our life is how we begin to forgive and love those around us, which comes again as a work of God's Spirit in us, moving us as we begin to understand deeper and deeper what he has done for us. Jesus, again, operates on a whole different level than I think we ever even think about. Because think about how much that maybe next time, you know, someone hurts you or you see that person you really irritated out, just go. They, you're going to look like you're angry. I know, I get it, right? But, you okay, I'm going to breathe in, I'm going to breathe out. I'm going to breathe in, I'm going to breathe out. And I'm going to be like, okay, I've been forgiven by God. And it doesn't mean where you breathe out and you forgive somebody that everything's better what it means is you can start to work towards places to make that better because you're not looking for vengeance what you're looking for is to how to make this thing right so it glorifies God and helps the gospel to go forward better and this is one of the reasons every week we come to the place of communion because this is where Jesus and we remember what Jesus did died to bring us back to himself this is a what we do is we remember this. Jesus says, you do this in remembrance of me. So we remember why we get forgiveness, why we get to live in grace because of what he did. And that is why you take that cracker and you break it as a reminder of his body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of his blood that was shed for us because he is the one who pays the price in our place. We can never pay it on our own. And so he does it for us because he is holy and he is good and he is loving and he is the one who is forgiving of us. If you need prayer, there's going to be people right across the way in the lounge after the service. You can go during the songs. You can go after the service. Ask them any questions you might have, but they would love to pray with you. Maybe you are in a spot where your whole life has been self-centered, you know, where you are, I'm really virtuous or I'm really honorable or I'm looking at my own strength and, and you're just holding that all in. And you now understand a little bit better maybe what Christ has done and he's he's kind of calling you and laying these things on your heart. We love to be able to pray with you and to talk with you about those things of what he is doing. Because he calls us to be these people who represent him to the world and we want to be able to do that. Uh, We invite you if you want to, you can give. There's offering boxes on the side wall. At Element, we don't pass the plate. It's a response to what God has done in us. And so every time that we give, it's, it's a response. When we pray, it's a response. When we sing, it's a response. It's all a response. And I encourage you, if you don't have a binder, that you would look at the questions on those sermon notes, maybe take those with you, and walk through these things. What, is, what has God done? And then what has God done in you? And then how is He calling you to begin to live that out in your life towards others, so that we would be a people who live and respond to how God has loved us, forgiven us, and brought Him to Himself. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would help us to begin to understand that when we talk about being other regarding, it's a response to what you have first done. And as we understand deeper and deeper what you have done, it would move us to a place of reflecting who you are to this world that we would see better what you call us into. And it would be a natural response to what you have done, that we'd understand that we are not saved by how forgiving we can be or how good we can be or how moral or virtuous we can be. We are saved because of what you have done. We are saved because you have brought us to yourself. And all that we can ever begin to do is reflect the good graciousness of who you are to the world around us. So teach us to understand our own forgiveness, our own life, how we have been drawn back to you because of your grace. And you would teach us to be those who walk in that grace. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen. And as we drop these curtains, guys, just just take a moment and think about that other regarding ethic in terms of the people in your life who maybe who have hurt you at this point. Again, forgiveness doesn't mean you let them get away with hurting you and other people, but it moves to the place where you can let that burden go. And then when you do begin to work and deal through certain things, it's not about vengeance. It's about the hope that God brings and, and bring us to a place of understanding what true justice looks like. So do a couple songs, and as we do, you know, ask God to show you in your life right now where He is calling you to See other people, maybe as those made in his image, where you are not the center of you. Have him reveal to you the the people in your life that you have made less than. And then do the hard work of allowing his spirit to come through and grow you so that you would see them how God sees them, broken, fallen, hurting, needing grace and life again. And then ask God to show you the ways to be able to bring about some reconciliation or bring about some justice, whatever it is in those spaces that you'd be able to breathe in and breathe out and that God be glorified and that His name would be proclaimed throughout this world. Then come and take communion, sing a couple songs with us and let's head out into this world reflecting better who God is by how we breathe in and breathe out Blessing, love, forgiveness, grace, hope, life, mercy. Everything that God has done in us, we would give it away.